got your Bible, turn with us to the book of Genesis, the very first page. We'll be starting there in just a moment. We are delighted to have you with us. I love Sunday. Sunday is the best day of the week. It was on Sunday that our Lord resurrected. It was on Sunday when the disciples gathered. It was on Sunday when the disciples remembered. And you ever notice how things are just a little bit different on Sunday? And I kind of wish every day was a Sunday. Because it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing to be together in God's presence and to do these things. Good to be with Tim and Vicki once again. This is about the fourth or fifth time we've done this. And every time I hate following him. I just say, you know, just keep singing. Because I'm going to ruin everything, so just keep singing. But it's just a wonderful, wonderful occasion. We're so glad to be here. We're going to be talking this week about the concepts of our journey with Jesus. Journey. That's what life is. It's a journey. It's an up and down, sunshine and rain, good things and bad things. And together with that, we have to walk with the Lord. And so I'm going to give you some lessons I think are just very, very practical. There's nothing going to be enlightening or really deep for you, but they're things that will just remind us that we're on this journey together. And together with one another, we want to go to heaven more than anything else. There's a story from an old movie back in 1991. And there's a scene in this movie where an attorney had been to an L.A. Laker basketball game. And after the game, he was driving on the L.A. freeways. Have you ever been on L.A. freeways? It's about 900 lanes, and they all come to stop. And he just was impatient. So he took the first exit. He's going to cut through downtown L.A. and get back on somewhere else. And so he took this road and that road and this road, and he was going through some bad sections of L.A. His engine light comes on. His car breaks down. And so he calls a tow truck. And while he's waiting, a group of thugs come up and surround him. They're going to rob him. About that time, the tow truck driver shows up. And the tow truck driver says this. He says, man, the world ain't supposed to work like this. He says, maybe you don't know this, but it ain't supposed to be this way. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking you if I can. And this dude here in this car is supposed to be able to wait in his car without you ripping him off. Everything is supposed to be different than what it is here. In the movie Wizard of Oz, when Dorothy left black and white Kansas and entered the colorful world of Oz with a little dog in her hand, she said, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. And it doesn't take very long for us to realize that everything seems to be different today. We've got moms and dads in our country today who said, you know what? We're going to let our child grow up and decide what gender he wants to be. We're not going to declare that. We have policemen who ride in cars and, and fear someone shooting them because they're full of hate. We have fentanyl and heroin addictions that's just destroying lives and homes. Yet again, there's been another mass shooting in our country and again in a school. The porn industry is polluting minds of so many. Nearly every American city has seen an increase in crime and murder. People are angry, angry at work, angry at home. There are churches all across this country are struggling. Many are coming to the question mark, do we close the doors for the last time? And we come to this, is this the way life is supposed to be? Is this the way God has made things? Is this what Christianity is supposed to look like? Every year back home, we do a theme. And a few years ago, our theme was 
based on the title of this lesson, Life the Way It's Meant to Be. And what we want to get across in that theme was when we read our Bibles, when we read the Gospels, when we read what the, the apostles had written, and we take it out of the Bible and we put feet on that, what is Christianity supposed to look like? When you're walking down that hallway of your school, what's Christianity supposed to look like? When I'm at work tomorrow, what is Christianity supposed to look like? When I'm at a ball game or a concert, what's Christianity supposed to look like? When I'm sitting at my kitchen table and there's a mountain of bills I've got to pay, what does Christianity look like? When I'm sitting in the emergency room of a hospital, what does Christianity look like? When I'm sitting in this room on a Sunday morning, what does Christianity supposed to look like? When I'm walking home from a cemetery, what is Christianity supposed to look like? And so this morning what we want to do is we want to talk about that concept. Our Lord said in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and life abundantly. Abundant. Now, if somebody came up to you and says, I have abundant wealth, that means that guy is rich. Somebody has abundant health. He's very healthy. Jesus here is talking about life. I want to give you life. And that life is a purpose, meaning, and joy. It doesn't take place when we get to heaven. It takes place right now. I think sometimes we get the idea, you get baptized in Jesus, and you hold on to this miserable, stinking life, and someday you get to go to heaven. Jesus is saying the best life, the abundant life, is right now in Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to see and appreciate as we think about that. And so in our Bibles, let's go to the book of Genesis in chapter 1. And let's notice how everything began. The word Genesis is about beginnings, the beginning of life, the beginning of the world, the beginning of family, the beginning of marriage, the beginning of our history. And we see in verse 27 and verse 28 of Genesis 1, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over everything that moves on the earth. The dominant word there in the book of Genesis chapter 1 is good. Everything that God made was good. And what we see is when he made Adam and Eve, they were the perfect couple living in the perfect world. I sat down with a young couple not too long ago talking about their marriage coming up. And we were talking about things, and she said, as she looked at him, he's the perfect man. And I just stared at him. I've never seen a perfect man before. I just kept staring at him. And she says, we agree on everything. We never argue. I said a prayer right there. I said, Lord, do I tell her now? Do I wait for her to find out? You know? <laughs> and as much as she loved him, he wasn't perfect. But this couple... They were perfect. There was no sin, and the world which God put them in was the perfect world. God did not say, this is the best I can do. I hope you can improve upon things. Maybe you can make it better. That didn't happen. It was the perfect couple in the perfect world. Have you ever thought about this? You ever wonder what Adam and Eve talked about before the kids came? I mean, what is there to talk about? Oh, the neighbors. There are no neighbors. You're, did you talk to your mama today? There was no mama. 
My old boyfriend, there's no old boyfriend. Well, on Facebook, there is no Facebook. Nothing to complain about. Well, we had perfect weather today. I guess we'll have perfect weather tomorrow. How's farming today? Well, I took the hoe out there, but there were no weeds. I mean, nothing to stress about, nothing to complain about, nothing to be upset about, nothing to be angry about. The perfect couple in the perfect world. We have never seen that before. We have never tasted that before. We have no idea what that would be like. And for them, the best days were not behind them. The best days were not in the future. The best days were right then. They were living the best that they could. And what we see through this is God had a wonderful, wonderful relationship with them built upon the concept of faith and trust. And what we're going to see here in just a moment, yet they were not satisfied. Turn your Bibles now to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. On the screen it says 1 through 7. We're going to go, we're going to go 1 through 9. Genesis 3, 1 through 9. And in here there's several things I want you to notice as we read this. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. Verse 5, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that was the delight to the eyes, and that, she, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. So she took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Verse 7 says, The eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made them lowing coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the, of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? First of all, let's, let's talk about some things we don't know. How long does Genesis 3 take place after Genesis 1? Was it the next day? Next week? Next month? Next year? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know what that serpent looked like. Now, most times when you see artwork of this, it looks like a snake wrapped around a tree. And God's punishment was for that animal to crawl. It's kind of hard to crawl when you're already crawling. So we don't know what the serpent looked like. We don't know if other animals could talk. Eve doesn't seem to be shocked that she's talking to the serpent. Got in Jordan's house yesterday, and Jordan's dog Maui, about as big as I am, came up to me. And I said, hi, Maui. If Maui said, how was your trip, Roger? I'd be back in, the, in my airplane right now. Okay. Our animals don't talk to us. But this animal did. Could other animals? I don't know. What did the forbidden fruit look like? Again, when you see artwork, it looks like an apple. We don't know. What we do know is we don't have that fruit with us today because we don't have access to that tree today. So there's a lot of questions we simply don't know about this. But I want you to notice as we walk through this text some things that take place here. I want you to begin with me in verse 1. Now the serpent, as it says, was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, this is the first question 
ever asked in the Bible. Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Here's what he's saying. God has put you in the midst of all this. Can you imagine apples and pineapples, every fruit available, and a serpent says, God put you in here, and you can't eat anything. I'm going to take my kid to a toy store. I'm going to take him to a candy store, and guess what? You can't have any of that. That's what your God has done. And what God is doing, he's putting a question mark where God has put a period. Satan always puts a question mark where God has put a period. And that creates the, the conversation and the doubt with these things. Now, I want you to notice three or four things that happen here. First of all, what Satan does is he discredits what God says. And then what the serpent does, serpent deceives Eve. Then what the serpent does is he created doubt in Eve's mind. We're going to walk through this and just see this in just a minute. And then from this, he encouraged Eve to disobey God. And again, this comes about when we see how he puts question marks in front of all the things that God has said. How easy Eve should have said. And this is a lesson for us. Satan will always take you to what's forbidden. You can't have this. And we look at that. And we're focused on that. And we say, why can't I have that? I want that. What we need to do is turn around and say, but look what God has given me. Look at all the trees God has given me. Maybe I can't eat from this one tree, but I got thousands of trees. God is good. And he's not leaving her off. He's not forgetting these things. And we need to see that we're not forsaken, we're not neglected, we're not forgotten by God. And notice, Eve was not influenced by contemporaries. There was no one there but Adam. It wasn't her friends. It wasn't the people she hung out with. It wasn't the magazines she read. It wasn't something on Google she read. It wasn't from TV. It was just Eve and the serpent. And in verse 4, the serpent turns the conversation to God. We're no longer talking about trees. We're no longer talking about eating. We're no longer talking about fruit. We're now going to talk about God. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. Where's your evidence? Where's your proof? Where's your disclaimer that says God is wrong? God said I will die. You said I won't. And what that does is create doubt in the mind of Eve. And what it does, it creates these questions that will lead to these things about this. Now, three questions come out of this immediately. Questions you and I have to face. Number one, whose voice will I hear? Am I going to listen to the voice of God through the Bible? Or am I going to listen to the voice of the world? And then, whose will rules my heart? What decides things? Our culture today is myself. Whatever makes me happy, that's what's going to rule my heart. That's what I'm going to do with these things. And then the third question we ask is, who do I trust? Now, who made Eve? God did. Who made the garden? God did. Who had put trust with him? God had done. And when you remember back in Genesis 3, verse 8, which we've already read, who walked in the day with them? God did. What had the serpent done for them? Absolutely nothing. Why are you listening to the serpent? Why are you believing the serpent? And to see how this is. And I want you to understand, this story is told over and over and over again. Satan uses our feelings. 
our emotions, our passions to confuse us. He gets us to think about things we shouldn't think about. Now, it's not serpents that we listen to. It might be a friend. It might be a parent. It may be a spouse. It may be a co-worker. And what they tell us to do is the same thing. God has not been as good to you as you think he has. You think you're perfect. And you think you're living in the perfect world. God has held back on you. And what you need is what God won't let you have. And that spiritual or, or that form of forbidden fruit comes in the sexual affair. It comes in lying on your resume, stealing from your company, a bottle, a pill, and they all promise the same thing, a better life than what you have right now. Your life is not good enough. If you only had this, your life would be better. And that's what Satan tries to do over and over to us. And I want you to notice, Satan always provides three things. You want to do wrong, there's always an opportunity. Always. You want to do wrong, there's always a crowd to encourage you. If you want to do wrong, he'll always give you a reason to justify it. Doesn't make it right, but Satan does that over and over each time. I want you to notice verse 6 with us, if you will, in our context. It says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit, and she gave it also to her husband with her, and he ate. It's a little phrase in there I just preached upon recently, and I hadn't thought about this before. I always had in my mind that it's Eve and the serpent, and they're kind of talking to each other, and Adam's out there in the garden somewhere. He's picking corn, or he's planting cucumbers, who knows why he's doing it, but he's over there doing that. But that's what the context says. In the NIV, it states it this way. It says, she gave also to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The ESV says... And she also gave to her husband who was with her. He was there. And he said nothing. He said nothing to that serpent. He said nothing to his wife. Honey, why are you talking to this animal? Honey, why are you listening to him? He said nothing. And if we had about three more days here, we'd talk a little bit about us men being leaders. Adam didn't lead there. Adam just did nothing. And as a result, the sin took place. And great trouble came about. And when we think about this, there are many, many people today in our culture, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and they've never seen life the way God intended it to be. God never intended to take place with this. God made them perfect. And so when you look once again in Genesis 8 and Genesis 9, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine this morning when you got up? Before you came down here to the church house, you just walked through your neighborhood a little bit. And can you imagine walking with God? Can you imagine God saying, stop, stop, listen. Hear that little bird? Listen. I made him sing just that way. You see that little bitty flower coming up here? Look, look at all the colors there. I did that. I did that. Can you imagine walking with God? Then in verse 9, it's the first question God ever asked in the Bible. And God said, where are you? Now, it's not, it's not this little game, come out, come out, I can never find you. God knew exactly where they were. But God's now asking them, why are you hiding from me? You have never hid from me. 
Why are you afraid of me? And what Eve found out is that the serpent lied. Life will be better if you eat this fruit. If you do what is wrong, you're really going to enjoy life. And what she found out is the serpent lied. She was guilty. She was fearful. And now for the first time, she's hiding from God. And what we need to realize is that's not the way God made us. God did not intend for us to hide from him. God did not intend for us to be afraid of him. God did not intend for us to live a life in which we're full of guilt, we're full of shame, we're full of sorrow and regrets. That's not the way God made us. And so all around us are people who've never seen grace and forgiveness. Oh, they've seen hatred. They've seen revenge. But they've never seen it the way God wants it to be. And all around us are people who've never seen a trusting and thriving marriage. What they've seen is dysfunction. What they've seen is divorce. But they've never seen marriage the way God made marriage. And what they've never seen is a worship that is meaningful and biblical and right and honoring the Lord. Now, all around us are people who are having a fun time at worship. I mean, let's bring in the popcorn, let's bring in the elephants, and let's have a show going on here. That's, that's contemporary worship. But what they don't see today is worship as found in the Bible. So many people have never seen that. And so many people have never seen the heart of a servant. Selfishness rules our country. And so when we begin this journey with Jesus, life the way God intended for it to be, we need to see that what mars this is sin. Sin is what messes it up every time. In the book of Romans, in chapter 6, and verse 20, or excuse me, chapter 3, verse 23, the Bible says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that word sin there simply means miss the mark. When I was 19 years old, which is about two centuries ago, I was between college and I decided to become a counselor at one of the summer camps. And there was a whole bunch of us there. First time I was being a counselor and we had a meeting and they needed somebody to shoot archeries, teach archery to the kids. I never shot an arrow in my life. But here I am 19 years old and I'm thinking there's 18 year old girl campers this could be good. This could be real good. Because we're going to be away from everyone else. We'll be out there in the field. And I signed up. I said, I'll, sh I'll show them how to shoot archery. And I never shot an arrow in my life. So I thought, first thing I got to do is I got to be kind of cool here. You know, you get these 18-year-old girls. I'm 19. And I got to look like I know what I'm doing. So my first arrow almost hit my foot. That was bad. Second arrow, I think to this day, has never come down. I just shot it so high, just, it's sore. So I thought, man, this is not working. So I went up to the target and got about two feet away and shot about four or five. And I stepped back a little bit farther, just kept shooting, kept, kept hitting bullseye, kept going all the way. To, and I got pretty good hitting that. But I found out two things. First of all, hitting the target's hard. And second of all, 18-year-old girls don't sign up for archery with nine-year-old boys. That, that little plan just didn't work. But this passage, what he's talking about is there is a mark, there is a target God intends for you to hit. That's life the way God made it. God made you, intended for you to hit that mark. And when you don't hit that mark, you fall short. That's what sin is. God intended for Adam and Eve to live together in a perfect world. They missed that mark. I have missed that mark. You have missed that mark. 
And every time it's the voice of Satan telling you, this is something you can do. Your life is not going to be happy until you do this. Now, God says it's wrong, but I know it's okay. You're special. You're unique. You can do this. And until you do this, you will never, ever really be happy. And we buy into that. And we shoot that arrow. And we realize, I completely missed the target. That's what Satan tries to get us to do. And so what we see with this is that what we do with our sins has everything to do with whether we live the life that God wants us to live. And so we understand how important it is that some people will just hide their sins. And they'll just pretend and live this fantasy world. I've never done anything wrong. Everything's okay. One of the most common lies we say in church, we don't want to admit that, but we say it. We come in on Sunday morning. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. Everybody's fine. And here I sit. And I almost didn't come today. Well, here I am, and me and my wife had a big fight today. Well, here we are, and I know what I did last night. Well, here we are, and I know what addictions I have. And how easy it is to tell everybody, I'm fine. And as long as we do that, we kick that can down the road. We never deal with our sins as God wants us to. Others, what they'll do, they'll just justify their sin. And they'll come up with an excuse. If you knew my dad, you'd understand. If you knew where I work, you would understand. If you knew how hard it was, you would understand. And all those are excuses for simply hiding your sins. For others, it's nothing more than running from their sins. And that's what they do. They'll just run and run and run and keep themselves busy and out of sight, out of mind is what they try to do. For others still, they will just deny their sins. I didn't do anything bad. I know people who did some real bad things, but not me. I didn't do anything that bad. And again, the, what they try to do is simply to hide those kind of things. In your Bibles, now turn with me to the book of Romans in chapter 6. And let's just grab a couple verses here. First of all, in Romans 6, and then we're going to go to the book of Ephesians. But in Romans chapter 6, the apostle says this in verse 3 and verse 4. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death. So as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. Life the way God intended it to be. Life the way God wants you to live. God doesn't want you to live with guilt. God doesn't want you to walk through life with all these regrets in my life. God doesn't want you to walk through life with misery and sorrow and shame. God wants you to walk in the holiness and the abundance of life that he gives to us. And so in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, the apostle would say it this way. Ephesians chapter 4. And begin verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4, begin verse 17. He says, so... This I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they have become callous and given themselves over to sensuality, to the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. But you did not learn Christ this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you laid aside the old self, 
which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of the seed, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You put on the new self. That's what God wants. God wants you to have this life he created, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak the truth, each one of you, to his neighbor, for we are all members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but he must rather labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. You see what God's doing? This is the way I want you to live. Don't, don't live in lies. That seems to be the, the, the flavor of the month with so many people. They'll walk right up to you. I'm telling you the truth when they're lying and they say that. He says, my people aren't going to do that. This is the life I made my people to live. This is the way I want you to live. 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only a word that's good for edification according to the need of the moment. So give grace to those who are here. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. Now here it is. Just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. You know the hardest part of that verse? It's not forgiveness. It's not being kind. The hardest part of that verse is the just as. He didn't say forgive just like Ricky forgives. Forgive just like Roger forgives. Forgive just like God. Now let's take a time out for a minute. How many times, just think about this. How many times in your life since you were baptized do you think God has forgiven you? Ten times? Thousand times? A million times? I can't even count. How many prayers do we offer every, every time we say a prayer? Forgive us of our sins. It's in every prayer we say. And so he says, forgive each other just as Christ, just as God and Christ has forgiven you. Continue on, chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Here it is, just as Christ also loved you. I think we get this idea sometimes that God's walking down the street and here's this pet store window and we're these cute little doggies in the window and God says, oh, look at them. They are so cute. They are so adorable. We got to take one of these home. No. We slapped God in the face. We spit on his word. We defiled him. We denied him. We rebelled against him. Still, God says, I'm going to give you a second chance. Still, I love you. Still, I want you to be with me forever. That's the God of heaven. And so when we think about this, this is the way God wants us to live, in holiness of him. And so as we wrap this up, some will blame others for the sin. We wrap this up. Let's talk about the life that God intended you to live. Number one, God intends for you to live a life that's like Jesus. That's exactly what we just read here in the book of Ephesians, to be like Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, talks about be conformed to the image of his son. God intends for us to be an oasis for others. We are to be that light of the world. We are to be an encouragement. We are to refresh the spirits of others. When we see one another, as I have done this morning, it just makes you feel good. You can be tired. You can be stressed out. Your tongue can be hanging out, thinking, man, what a week I had. I got another one just like it coming up here. But I come into this place, and I see these people. 
What a blessing. What a godsend. That's the way God wants us to be. And then what God wants you to be, God intends for you to live a life the way he intended. To honor him, to be joyous, to be directed, and to be focused. Life the way God intended it to be. One final verse I want you to look at with me. Turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 25. Genesis, chapter 25. There we have the words about old Abraham. And in Genesis 25 and verse 8, the Bible here says, Abraham breathed his last. Genesis 25, verse 8. Abraham breathed his last, died in a ripe old age, an old man satisfied with life, and he was gathered to his people. Now, he wasn't satisfied because, you know, in his garage, he restored an 066 Mustang. Or he got this baseball collection of the who's who of baseball. He was satisfied. That's all material. That all stays here. That all goes to someone else when you die. He was satisfied because he walked with the Lord. When God told him to go, he went. When God told him to believe, he believed. He was a man who was satisfied with life. And so, as we begin this little journey this next few days, that's what we're going to be looking at in different aspects. We're going to talk about the life that God intended for you to live. We live in a culture that just throws God out, and we look at it. The wheels are coming off, and everybody's just having all these different ideas. Somebody can go up to you and say, I look like a man, I talk like a man, I, look, I sound like a man, I smell like a man, but really I'm not. I'm just waiting for somebody to come up there and say, I look like a human being, but actually I'm an alien. You can change your species. Why can't you be that? And what we need to see, that's not what God intended. God intended the way you are made, the way you are wired, the way he put you in this generation to honor him, glorify him, and to bring others to him. What a blessing that we can be called the people of God. What a blessing it is that God says, I want you to spend forever with me in heaven. What a blessing it is to realize God has never, ever given up on us. Life, the way he intended it to be. We'll stop for now. Thank you. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com questions at thebibleway.com we'd love to have you in person come if you can but thank you for connecting with us